The Print Files, where we bring you the inside story on the printing industry by Print21, the people who know print. Good day and welcome to the latest episode of It's Been a Big Month in Print, the podcast for the print industry from The Print Files, where we dig deep into the big issues impacting the industry each month. I'm Wayne Robinson, editor of the Print21 Media Hub. And I'm Lindy Hewson, publisher of Print21 and of PKN Packaging News. As we race towards the end of the year, Wayne, the government is racing to get its industrial relations bill through Parliament. But business, it seems, is dead set against a significant part of it, multi-employer bargaining. And which Print Business Employers Association, PVCA, has labelled rough as guts and detrimental to the industry. Why are they against it, Wayne? Strong words from PBCA and many other businesses, business organisations. Multi-employer bargaining is one part of the government's new 27-part omnibus IR bill. That runs to 300 pages. Tony Burke put in 150 amendments last week. He's given business groups just three days to go through the huge bill. It's causing outrage. In a nutshell, the contentious single, inter- single interest, the multi-employer bargaining stream, they can tie companies in the same industry in a similar field to, ing- to agreements that have been made by rival companies or companies that are in that field but have little in com- little commonality and who may be operating within completely different cost parameters. For instance, in theory, if all printers are lumped together, it means a wage deal struck with a high-tech city centre or metro-based uh, print business, those wages could be uh, enforced on a regional screen printing operation, which is operating on a completely different cost basis. At present, businesses with less than 15 employees, which of course is 70-75% of the industry, uh, are exempt from that, for now at least. PVCA says that number's too low. And PVCA is also concerned that it could bring a, uh, a, they will take precedence over the award system, which has served the industry for more than 100 years, uh, and that it will herald a return to pattern bargaining. And pattern bargaining, for those who've got long memories, is from the 1970s, where uh, a union could go into a business, set a wage rate, and then take that to the next business and say, well, they've got this, so you guys deserve this, and keep amping up the wages. And also, the bill will allow unions to organise protective strikes across companies with common interests. So it's for print businesses that are used to working with the award system or negotiating their own wages, to have that taken away from that power taken away from them, well, it's a big issue. So just let me get this clear then. So if I was a print business owner... The wage levels in my business could be set by agreements reached in rival businesses or businesses in another part of the country or businesses that may have only the most tenuous link to mine. That's why the whole of the business community is against it. Uh, Critics, they now include almost everyone in business, say the one-size-fits-all approach they describe as a retrograde step. They labelled it as junk reform and say its main purpose is to give power to the unions, who, of course, are strong backers of the current government. Uh, the PBCA, our own Industry Employees Association, they say that, uh, well, we've already described it, they said it's, it's rough as guts in terms of its construction, detrimental to growth, will certainly not lead to productivity improvements. Uh, the bill came out of the Jobs Summit, you may remember, happened a few months ago, uh, but business leaders who were at that summit, which were plenty, uh, now claim essentially they were duped into giving it the thumbs up because they thought it was just for uh, low-paid government workers, aged care workers and so on. Uh, so... That's why it's. Uh, that's why they now suddenly realise what's going on. That's why they're now all against it. The bill's going through. Whether it will come to fruition, whether it'll get into statute books, remains to be seen. Gosh, well, let's hope that the PVCA can work their bargaining magic. Um, now, 
One sector that is applicable to many different types of print businesses is digitally printed packaging. And Wayne, I'd like us to talk a little bit about our live event that we had focused on digitally printed packaging. It was called Amplify and Engage, and it was designed to demonstrate the massive opportunities in digitally printed packaging. Now, it took place a couple of weeks ago, feels like just yesterday, and it was a real highlight of my year, I have to say. It brought to light many of the trends and the tech and the insights that we've seen emerging across the board at local shows, at overseas shows, and some of the key developments in our market. One of the uh, highlights of the day for me was the unpacking of the Hungry Jack's you know, campaign, which was an incredible marketing campaign that saw the marriage of digital and flexo printing plus smart packaging technologies rolling out in a campaign that had prize money in the first iteration to the tune of $84 million. Um, we had the whole ca cast of all the people there and it was quite something. Wayne, what were your reflections on that? Yeah, well, as we saw the collaboration of those companies, uh, Michael Doss's results group leading it, and then uh, Debtpack, uh, they they were uh, obviously involved in it. MCC, uh, the uh, TLC, which is the uh, Asian mar Marketing Agency. They, as they all came together in that fantastic collaboration that produced many different types of print with the, the packaging, the cards, the individual, which were individually printed, 17 million of them, the security that had to go with that, the management of the data, the management of the print, the production of the print, and the fantastic result. You're right, $84 million was on offer first time around. Hungry Jacks were so impressed with it, they ran it again and up the prize money to $120 million next time around. It was a fantastic project that came together. And that uh, collaboration was one of the big themes of the day, of, uh, of, of the live day. We saw various speakers or most of them, in fact, talk about they weren't operating in isolation. They were operating with their clients or with management companies to collaborate to produce uh, a whole new market. And we, as we mentioned in the opening uh, opening that we gave Lindy to the day, CAGR, the compound annual growth rate for digitally printed packaging, 11% a year for the next five years, a virtual doubling of the market size in the next five years represents a great opportunity. Yeah, and we've had um, overwhelmingly positive feedback from um, the people surveyed who attended um, and on the day, of course, as well. There was some really fantastic presentations from, from our keynote speaker, Sonia Friedrich, who looked at the big picture of digitization and how that's impacting human behavior and changes marketers need to make um, in order to capitalize on that. We had a real entertaining and engaging presentation from Ryan Davidson. He's the CEO now and also the founder of Little Bang Brewing Company. And um, he showed us just how digitally printed packaging got a small brewer noticed on shelf and transformed his beer cans in, or their beer cans into a salesperson on the shelf. And one of the things that I, I loved most about what he said was um, they did this algorithmic application of HP's Mosaic technology, which allowed them to have different names for thousands of SKUs. I think it was something like 12,000 SKUs, Wayne. And um, and, it, and it said, some of them were a little bit naughty, the names. And he said, as soon as they had an, <laughs> a complaint, they could say, oh, gosh, well, we've done a full product recall. <laughs> and that was, you know, it, it caused the audience to be in fits of laughter. But again, just illustrating really the power of digital packaging print for creating high-level engagement with consumers. 
those 12,000 uh, cans, 12,000 individually named cans he was talking about, that was one day. Peacock Brothers produced that on their on their presses there just in one day. And again, that's a co collaboration between the creative side of, of the Little Bang Brewery Company, uh, the Mosaic software from HP, and the Peacock Brothers. So yeah, it was his... Uh, his talk, his chat was a fantastic uh, explanation of how digitally printed packaging can work in his particular environment, which is, of course, is beer cans. Well, um, there was a lot of other th conversations that were had on the day. Um, one of the presenters, well, the one duo that couldn't present on the day, but nevertheless still came to the party and delivered us a TikTok-style video to showcase exactly how it's worked for a startup um, and a printer working together, taking a little startup, Mingle Seasoning, who was basically filling her seasonings and spices at her kitchen bench top, to, to be nationally listed uh, because of the quality of the packaging and the ability to roll out really quickly. So they are now across all national supermarkets and doing really well for it. And that's thanks to their partnership with Luminar, digitally printing, digital printing by Luminar. And then not to leave anyone out, but we'll talk about EPAC a little later as well. But EPAC, which is the juggernaut of <laughs> new company, six years on the go, as far as I know, Wayne, um, but recently opened here in Australia and really doing exceptional work with SMEs and startups. And we had Jason Brown, the managing director, speaking with Brian Nasser from the Healthy Food Group. Brian is, is a brand owner, but he's also a contract manufacturer. And they are really helping small food manufacturers and pet food manufacturers get their products on shelves in classy, classy looking pouches. Yeah, that's right. And um, those two showed a, a succession of examples, uh, much like the one you just referred to at Mingle, with uh, of small startup companies who've been able to achieve terrific results through uh, the use of the digitally printed packaging. They talked about a coffee company, uh, which started off producing coffee in 250 gram, 500 gram, and one kilo bags, and they wanted three versions of each, and they only wanted 500 bags of each. Impossible through any other means, or certainly cost-effectively cost impossible. But uh, Jason Brown, EPAC there, uh, which you're right, only opened a year ago in Melbourne, uh, they are they were able to produce that for them, no problem at all. And now that company is growing and growing. And there was a succession, that coffee company, there was a succession of examples like that, where the uh, digitally printed packaging is really working for brands. And for print businesses, it's enabling them to really exploit that 11% CAGR opportunity. We had Leon Wilson, owner of Revolution Print, self-described print geek, a great guy, took a general commercial offset jobbing printer and has transformed it into an advanced digital print room. Um, six months ago, well, at Pack Print, in fact, he ordered a new uh, digital label press, did done a bit of labels, always outsourced it, ordered a new digital label press with a converting machine, Conic and Alter in its case, uh, and set up a uh, very thought went through in quite detail how he set up his business, ordering his dyes beforehand, ordering substrates beforehand, getting his online uh, operation organized, getting his pricing organized. And when the press came in, took him a month to get it up and running. First month broke even, been in profit ever, ever since, and operating nationally, serving small and large companies. He talked about a, a local winery. Uh, that only produces 600 bottles a year. You might think that, that he did a job for. You may think 600 bottles, that's not going to make you uh, very rich as a printer. But of course, he said that winery owner then talked to all the other winery owners in the association. And now all of a sudden, he's getting lots of 600,000 run mm, label mm, orders. Mm. Uh, and that's kind of the way it goes. That's the way it goes. And that's the, the marriage of digitally printed packaging with 
the huge rise in craft, local, startup, uh, food, drink, food, beverage, nutritionals uh, was kind of a theme of the day or, or is driving the growth. Uh, and along with collaboration, Lindy, one of the themes of the day was innovation and the way that these companies are sorting themselves out and creating systems. The, the Hungry Jacks campaign that you mentioned at the start, they talked about having to adapt standard technology they adapted it uh to the to what they needed to do and they're able to do that and michael dosser was very keen that it was an australian based operation from start to finish there's some of the hungry jackson we can do this overseas he said no i want it to be all australian and it was and it was incredibly successful and that was really one of the themes of the day we have the means the ability to produce here and then we wrapped it all up, um, Wayne, with some experts on the panel because um, there are people like Joe Foster from Close the Loop Group, who was one of the pioneers of digital printing pack printed packaging um, in flexibles uh, when it first when he first started his OF packaging business. And we also heard from Opal Group. We had Paul Haggard on stage talking a bit about the opportunity that there is for digital in um, cardboard and corrugated. And um, EFI's Paul Sinelli, he spoke about um, some of the technology that they're bringing in. And he also pointed to the importance of the packaging being seen as the billboard for the brand. Um, and he spoke about the concept of packvertising. And then finally, we had Zadie Jackson from um, Ball and Doggett, and she addressed the all-important issue of sustainability. Um, and bringing that whole sustainability perspective to the day was something that was, was absolutely vital and also highlights, from a print industry point of view, how much the industry has, in fact, cleaned up its act. In fact, you've said it before, Wayne, no industry has cleaned up its act more than print. And yet this, the industry still seems to attract the ire of environmental campaigners. So I want to move on now and talk about a potentially major blow to local paper, ma paper making, which the Supreme Court has just ruled in the long-running battle between Vic Forest and campaigners against Vic Forest, which is the major supplier of logs to the Maryvale Paper and Packaging Grades Mill. Yeah, that's right, Lindy. That Supreme Court ruling has just come, and it's effectively meant the cessation of uh, of logging uh, in the forest there. Um, Vic, Vic Forest manages Victorian forests on, on behalf of the state government. It's owned by the state government. Um, environmental campaigners have long been complaining that they, they are chopping down old growth, old forest, native forest. The reality is that um, Vic Forest manages, as I said, those forests. Uh, as part of that deal, it, it logs 0.1% of that forest each year. These are the figures from Industry Edge. They know what they're talking about. 0.1% is logged. And of those logs, a, a significant number of them are trees that have either fallen down or they're in the way of other trees or there is some problem with them. Uh, but it doesn't impact at all on the growth of that forest. The the, the problem is that there's, a, a in this case, a yellow-bellied glider, a possum, uh, that is, lives in some of the trees that the environmental campaigners are against. The judge has said to Vic Forrest, you've got to take more care. Vic Forrest has said, well, we're doing all we can and we just can't do any more. Um, and so where this feeds into is the Maryvale Mill, which is the major papermaking mill in Australia that's left, uh, owned, uh, owned by Australian Paper, of course, owned by Nippon in Japan. Um, it gets most of its logs from, from uh, the Vic Forest. If it can't get, can't get the logs from the forest, ultimately it will have to get them from overseas. The environmental campaigners say that you know you can't chop down these trees because it's not environmentally bad. 
Vic Forest are saved 0.1%. It has nothing to worry about. And if we're shipping in 100,000 tonnes of logs or pulp a year from Japan, where's the environmental benefit in that? Maryvale Mill makes uh, re reflex copier paper. Not such a big deal in the commercial print industry, but 80% of copy paper in this country is reflex. And already news, the news, news agents wholesaler has put news agents on allocation. So they're already limiting it. And then as far as the printing industry goes, some offset grades are made there, envelopes are made there, forms are made there. All that will have to come in from overseas. The, the mill itself, of course, is, is owned by, as I said, the giant Japanese company, and they've got 40 mills in, in Japan, so they can bring it in easily enough. But it's not really what we want to see, and it's it, it's a, it's a, going to be a problem. There's UWF papers, they're called uncoated wood-free papers, are, what, are what's made there. And um, if they have to be brought in from overseas, it's no good. People say Australia is legendary at shooting itself in the foot or killing off its own manufacturing. We've seen that in many ways. And we you have to think there's got to be a better way than this courts this that there's got to be a better balance to get it's not easy to do because there's various factors coming into play obviously environmentalism is top of everyone's agenda we're all concerned about it um so that's an issue that's going on we don't know how it's going to play out yeah so obviously um we all do want a, a healthy planet we all do know that environmental issues have to be top of mind but the challenge is in managing the balance between where we are right now what we need and where we want to be, so what's possible and what we want to strive for. Now, we're seeing this play out in a major way in the packaging industry at the moment. Uh, you might be aware, Wayne, that <laughs> the Red Cycle saga, which has caused so much um, media spotlight to be trained on the packaging and plastics resource recovery industry, let's not call it waste, let's try to always speak of plastic as a resource now, so the issue of soft plastics has come to light, how we, how we aren't recycling, recycling them. Apparently, we're at a very low recycling rate on them. When we look at APCO figures, we're at 4%. The whole uh, issue has been highlighted in several feature articles that have been written, and I would encourage our listeners to go to packagingnews.com.au to find out more and follow the story. We are posting updates all the time. But let's stay in Victoria, though, Wayne. For this month, we've seen the wave of industry mergers that has been one of the stories of the year in Melbourne continue with Prima acquiring PMI Imageworks and Precision Group buying Brendan Murphy's Marmac printing. What's behind the moves? So, well, in the case of uh, Prima buying PMI Imageworks, Lindy, it's to gain a broader product range and uh, Precision buying Primark, or buying Manark, sorry, uh, that gain, it gains a 10-color B1 Heidelberg, along with some great bindery kit, skilled staff, uh, and the customers. You're right, it's been a wave of mergers that we've seen in Melbourne this year. Uh, maybe uh, it's, uh, there'll be more to come next year. Um, Prima's buying PMI will bring together two very successful personalization print-on-demand businesses. Prima uh, was only established six, 2016, uh, and it's already the biggest in Australia. Now it's going to effectively double its size. Uh, the the uh, PMI was established about a decade ago by Chris Zapras, um, and um, they will now they're now easily uh, Australia's largest on-demand fulfiller. And they've got digital dye sublimation, DTG, eco solvent printers. So a terrific range of stuff. Now 130 staff. So a big business that's been consolidated. Prima is actually part of a huge global organization, District Photo. Uh, and like EPAC, 
Um, it started from an idea only a few years ago, six or seven years ago, and has now gone on to become a global operation. The idea being to marry the internet and print technology and the demand for individualization and personal personalization. Precision Group, uh, they have been on an acquisition growth drive. They, they uh, bought M Melbourne Mailing just six months ago. Uh, and now they've bought uh, this this company, Manarch. Essentially, one of the key drivers was to get the press. Uh, Precision Group was looking for a new B1 press. They look new, they look secondhand. Uh, but this was a great opportunity to buy one that's obviously in great condition, along with a lot of boundary kit and along with some great staff. And obviously, uh, Brendan Murphy and his uh, family were looking to sell. So it's a, it's a great deal from the Precision Group point of view. Corrie Hall growing a great business there. Well, another great business um, that just seems to be going from strength to strength, even in its uh, fledgling <laughs> state, is EPAC. Um, it is, of course, as we know, a part of a global business, um, but it now has revenues of 200 million, and that network is also now cloud-connected, Wayne. Uh, yeah, that's right. EPAC, it's, uh, as we talked earlier on during live, was one of the key presenters there, uh, the business only a year old in Australia. Uh, but it's part of a group, 26 plants around the world now, only started six years ago, uh, and they're going to—they're currently building another 11, including potentially one in this part of the world. Um, they are now all cloud connected. And what that means is that any business anywhere in the world can go to any uh, EPAC site, any liaise with their local EPAC site, and have that job printed anywhere else in the world at the same time if they want. Um, so while most of EPAC's businesses, as we heard at live, were small startup companies or uh, food entrepreneurs, there are some larger businesses that may want to uh, print the same product at the same time in many different parts of the world. And of course, there'll be different languages involved there, English, Spanish, French, whatever. But, but part of the beauty of digitalization, digital presses, is it doesn't matter what the, you can print in a different language on wherever you are with the same graphics. So yeah, a, a, a EPAC, of course, now is an industry leader. Cloud connectivity is going to become a bigger part of the industry as we go into next year too. So we've heard a lot about new technologies today, but one of the oldest technologies is mail. Uh, and all the studies show it is still one of the most effective communication tools. The print and mail industries have been in a battle, however, with OzPost for several years now over pricing and service. And that's just ramped up this month. Yeah, um, the OzPost has put up its prices again. Letters have gone up by 9%, uh, $1.10 to $1.20. Um, and similarly, the larger letters, $2.20, $2.40. Large letters, $3.30, $3.60. Australia Post uh, went to ACCC and said, we, are, we, we need to put, because letters are decreasing in volume, we need to increase the prices. ACCC Commissioner Anna Brackley, she agreed with that, got on board with OzPost. Of course, the print and mail industry says that's the exact opposite of what you should be doing. If you want to drive volumes, you've got to make it more attractive to people. Print, uh, direct mail is the most effective form of communication. The industry guru, Malcolm Old, who writes in Print21, re constantly repeats this message. Uh, Direct mail in America is growing significantly, uh, but that's because they have a different approach to privacy issues there. And uh, companies are free to access customers' uh, information in a way that they're not in Australia. But nonetheless, the theory is, uh, the reality is that direct mail is a great uh, communication tool uh, for all sectors of society, young and old, not just for the old, not just for the old. Studies show that young people respond better to direct mail than to any other form of communication. But unfortunately, Australia Post uh, seems to want to 
rise price, raise prices and reduce service levels at the same time. And that's tough news for the industry, a battle that will go on, but print doesn't seem like it's going to be winning it anytime soon. Yep. But at the end of the day, print is still a growing and successful industry. And let's end on that positive note, Wayne. That's, that's, it depends which, depends which sector you're in. As we said, as we said it's uh, live. If you're in newspapers or airline mm, tickets or mm. uh, street directors, not so much. But if you're looking at the, if you're following the trends, if you're looking at the mega trends, looking at the new data, which digitally printed packaging, of course, is one, uh, then yeah, you've got to follow the growth opportunities. Well, on that note, we'll wrap up this episode. Um, once again, it has been a big month in print thanks everyone for listening we value your feedback as always and so that's it from me lindy hewson saying goodbye yeah and it's goodbye from this episode of the print files from me wayne robinson we look forward to you joining us again next time for it's been a big month in print the print files podcast is produced by southern skies media on behalf of print 21 owned and published by yaffa media The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Print21, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact Print21 via their website, that's print21.com.au, or send an email to editor at print21.com.au. You can subscribe to The Print Files via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on the printing industry at print21.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.